Welcome back, Cinephiles and Wes Anderson fans. You're listening to Cinema de More. I'm Justin Morgan. I'm here with Chuck Phillips and Lexi. And we're discussing the Darjeeling Limited today. Hopefully you find it quite enjoyable. It's our big train movie. It's the big train movie that we've been talking about. <laughs> I like this one more than I didn't know I did, but I found this one a lot more enjoyable on my second because I saw this one I as you do. Yeah, this came out. I remember seeing this in theaters and probably the first one of his that I actually did end up seeing in theaters because I watched everything else on TV. Yeah. Great story. But yeah, that's the truth. And I remember seeing this with the short in front of it too. Hotel Chevalier with Jason Schwartzman and Natalie Portman. That had played right before the movie. This was my first watch of that. From the I know that you can't see Chuck because this is a podcast, but Chuck has very Jason Schwartzman looking hair right now. It's like combed over. I, I, I can't explain it. It was the look I was going for there. It was my inspiration. Yes. And Lexi kind of looks like Owen Wilson. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Before after the car accident. Ah. Uh, that sounds mean, but I want to say after. I mean, you were the one that set it up. You were the one that said she looked like that to begin with. So. Mid-gauze and everything. Halfway through the movie when he takes it off. Then says, I got more healing to do. Puts it back on. Yeah. Brutal. So this is Wes Anderson's fifth movie. He doesn't have very many, to be honest. I think over like everything that's been released now, French Dispatch is 10 or 11. I always thought of him like a 90s filmmaker, but he really, I mean, he technically was. 98 is the first one, right? 96 with Bottle Rocket. 98 with Rushmore. But he really finds his groove in the 2000s, and it's weird because I don't really think of him as a 2000s director, which is exactly what he is. Yeah, for sure. I think he's a pioneer of, like, like I talked about before, he's a pioneer of that era of cinema where there was that kind of, like, artsy, hipstery kind of, like, theming going on with, like, you know, Perks of Being the Wallflowers and that kind of stuff. I think it all comes from him in a lot of ways. Like, Ghost World came out around the same time as Rushmore. I think there's a lot of, like, crossover in the way those films feel. Not that they're the same film, but, you know. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. He was definitely like the beginning of, I don't even know how to describe it. Like there was a lot of, a lot of that like independent film that started around that same time. That's also when you started to get like the, uh, I don't know, like those mumblecore movies started coming out. Those ones that were like shot on super low budgets. Uh, we did Mumblecore. You know, yeah, I remember you remember the that popped up a while ago. It's like it all started to come at this time where it started to become the two thousands felt like when it became the most accessible to be a filmmaker, I guess. Well but they were like indie films. Well they looked like indie films, but they weren't actually yeah. indie films, they were studio films. So it was that time period where all the studios were like borrowing from the indie filmmakers and utilizing their visual style in the films, but not always capturing what those films represented which was a weird time period. Yeah, I mean, there's a huge shift in 1999, which was a renaissance of sorts. Teen comedies. And I think just like everything after that, they have to do something to stay fresh. Yeah. I don't know what the next thing is going to be, but Wes Anderson is like one of those few where people can't replicate his style and his humor. It's more than just what it looks like. He 
he pulls off a very distinct style, but he can get the humor just right. Yeah. And I think the Darjeeling Limited is a great example of well comedic timed movie with all it might just be the cast too, but Yeah. Absolutely. Every everybody beyond the th- the three brothers in this movie. Owen Wilson, Jason Schwartzman, and Adrian Brody, who actually all seem like they could absolutely be brothers in real life. Right. They look like they're of the same gene pool for some reason. <laughs> they had really great on-screen chemistry. There was a very natural quality about the way that they were with each other. Yeah, they legit felt like brothers or family yeah. of in some sort. Yeah, I, I enjoy the way, like, uh, especially early on in the film kind of just to show show their growth but like in those early scenes where there's constantly two of them that get separated and then they always tell someone something that they don't want the other one to know or they start like revealing their secrets but it's always as soon as like as soon as jason schwartzman leaves the room he's just immediately what's he doing he's checking his girlfriend's uh voicemail box when did he tell you that just a minute ago it's like as soon as owen wilson leaves you know i have a ticket back home for myself right he's like why would you do that and it's just like they keep constantly doing that early on in the film and then as soon as they start to as soon as like the dynamic starts to shift from one person to another, someone has to reveal someone's secret to like regain power in the relationship. Like, well, I know this because he told me that. Right, because in the film, their bro- their father died a year ago, and it kind of tore them apart. So they haven't talked in a year. So it's about more than them bonding, but they all have like these great trust issues against each other, which is actually interesting because it's it's that and the, an element of jealousy that's like the two things that i constantly see i loved adrian brody how he kept stealing shit yeah like he's like, is those dad's porsche keys <laughs> you have it's his like, car are, are those his glasses yeah and then still it, have that, his prescription that, in them then, then he starts stealing some everyone else's things like is that my belt yeah, can I borrow it? Well, not right now. I've been looking for it. <laughs> like that—that that becomes a, a constant source of problems between between the two of them. I love the the luggage as well. The symbolism of the luggage and how they each have like numbers on them and stuff, and like the Louis Vuitton. Yeah, rich people luggage. <laughs> it's so important to them throughout the entire film. Like they fight over it, and then there's that moment when they finally let go, where it's really beautifully done. So the luggage is like a really nice piece. It's like almost a character in itself because it's always there. It's always like a predominant feature. That really interesting, ugly pattern on it. Yeah, and his humor is really great with that luggage too because it's like a 10-piece set of luggage. Yeah. So it's more than the three of them can ever carry. So there's a lot of scenes where like there's just other people following them. Yeah, the trunks. There's always like a guy carrying the trunks and stuff. And like he always frames them in these really interesting ways like he's always like putting them central in a shot and making them like a major part of the story it's it's interesting how he was able to make that the luggage such a character in and of itself in the film the color in this film as i said with the color is really good and the luggage always like is harsh against whatever background is there like no matter what it always like pushes and stands out against everything yeah, I mean, I struggle with color slightly, but it does have that lighter palette color, almost like a pastel color through most of it. It's not just a straight, a straight up like yellow filter or any, you know, no. it's li- it's literally like aged paint on everything. Well, he filmed it in India. It looks like because when I was reading the credits at the end, like it says like most of it was shot like on the Indian rail lines and stuff like that, and they they use like bright 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 colors on like everything there like everything is just covered in bright colors like have you ever seen their trucks their semis 
where they just decked the semi out and all this like artifacts and like colors and like weird baubles and shit like that like he's so distinct with his choices though too i bet there's there's more than just finding the style that he likes i guarantee you they painted a train for sure his train was very specific because when they get on the other train it's just not the same the other train's not the darjeeling limited no uh it does have that how we talked about bill murray being in every movie since rushmore this actually has a lot of really funny subtext where the movie opens with him and he's trying to catch his train, Darjeeling Limited. And as he's racing for the train, he slowly gets passed up by Adrian Brody, <laughs> who it's funny because it's like a transition into, sorry, Bill Murray's not doesn't make the Darjeeling Limited, <laughs> the train or the movie. And the protagonist is Adrian Brody. So it's just like that great shot of him jumping onto the train and he looks back and Bill Murray's all out of breath. And it's like, yep, he didn't make this one. And I just kind of like that joke of like, yeah, he just he wasn't able to make the movie. (laughs) And then there's that shot of him later on raising like the steerage. Yeah, they have like an interesting shot that's um, it's very similar to the Steve Zissou stuff with the 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 cutouts of like, yeah, going going along in the train. But it's like even even some of the characters aren't actually in a train. It's just like a weird fantasy of like Brendan. He's like in the plane. He's in an airplane. Yeah. And Natalie Portman's just like in a bedroom in a hotel somewhere. But they're all in the train and like uh hotel like chevalier dream. yeah she's still there i liked that shot he does some really interesting uh stuff with his cameras like it's like he does these low dolly pans all the time like they don't feel feel so unnatural but like work really well with his stuff like everything feels like it's on a rail the way that he moves his camera like it never has this like there's no sweeping movements or anything that like it's always like straight down and then to the left like everything has a hard edge to it the way he frames his shots and stuff like that like there's never softness do you know what i'm saying yeah and there's a really cool shot too when the train is broken down or aka lost when the train is lost yeah Yeah. and there's a really cool transition of the way that the camera like makes this i don't know 45 degree angle turn yeah and it's the three brothers walking like they walk they're walking in a very unnatural way but cinematically it it almost feels like a, a change in the shot. Like it would normally be a cut, but they actually just reframed it to make it interesting in a different way. And I thought that that was pretty cool. There's a lot of stuff like that throughout this movie. Some of it's like so well-timed. It's it's almost like the cameraman is a little bit, the steady cam operator is a little bit more insane on this one where like the character beats, it's very important about where everybody is at any yeah. given moment. And it's a little chaotic because there's a lot of background characters and stuff getting in the way. I mean, there are shots that they do inside of their little cabin on the Darjeeling and the camera, like I said, like it'll go down and then it'll do like a hard pan left and then it'll come like up again. And you're like, that's such a small space to be doing like the kind of like shots that you're pulling and in, in what you're getting away with. And it, I just loved it. Like, I liked this one more. I said before more than Steve Suzu. I, I thought Suzu was really good, but I felt like this was like, like you said before, like the gelling of everything that he's kind of done previous to this coming together in this really fine soup. And I feel like all like the best elements of his films really came out strongly in this film. And this was kind of almost like his like masterwork. It's like if you want to like see like one of like 
the best examples of like how a Wes Anderson film's composition comes together or what have you. Like, I think this one's like so perfectly done because he brings like that and it ends with the fucking like terrible drama. There's like the terrible drama sequences. He does like a really good job, like of like following the progression of like starting light and then having like the middle with like the growth. And then there's like the third act has like extreme drama and he follows that like really strict like play structure in his films, even though they're films. Yeah, I mean, one of my favorite shots that bring them, you know, brings us back to this flashback is that uh, there's an instance where they were kicked off the train and they come across these children whose raft, I guess, like the rope holding the raft across the river breaks and they all try to get these children, but one of them ends up dying. And when they end up getting invited to this kid's funeral, it's a good flashback transition to their father's funeral from a year ago. And that's only some things that they've only like talked about through uh, Jack's, I think Jack's Jason Schwartzman through yeah. his, through his book <laughs> or his like little short story yeah. where they keep saying like, Oh, I like you did how me you got that well. character really well. <laughs> this, they're all works of fiction. Yeah. Yeah. And you get that story where they're like, you know, it seems like the last time that they ever really got to bond and you you also see these trust issues that start to like destroy them. Owen Wilson saying, you know, knowing that their mother is not going to be there, but not saying anything about it. Right. Yeah. He's the one that's clearly trying to take care of everybody. Like he wants to be that parent figure to them. By going to the kid's funeral, that gives them closure at the funeral that they didn't really get to like go to and experience for their father so like they also had that like bonding moment of like closure that they didn't previously get from their their other experiences so to speak he does another right that's like one of my favorite shots that he does is when they uh when they're leaving the funeral and it does that weird uh where he just keeps panning the camera back and forth like it looks at the kid in the in the street like they're standing mm-hmm. by themselves then it looks to the to the side of the street and there's a bunch of people like walking up to the road then it flips back to them standing there, and now there's like 20 people standing behind them. Then it flips back to the kid. Then it flips back across the street, and now there's like 30 people, and the father's there with the two kids. And like just more people keep popping up every time the camera keeps going back and forth. That like the entire village wants to see them off, and you know respects them, and you know understands, I guess, that they that they tried, uh, even though they didn't they didn't save one of the kids, but they they tried. They made their effort. Which uh, and I I enjoy that because it's it feeds into like the rest of the film, which has been like Owen Wilson was kind of trying to give them like that manufactured experience of of India. Like he had his he had to be yeah, Brendan making his itineraries for them and laminating them, <laughs> made him bring a computer and a laminating machine onto the train with them so he could make itineraries. Brendan He's not supposed to be seen. He just slips these under the doors. And then the first time he slips under the door, they immediately open the door and be like, what are you doing? He also it's also funny because he's the only other American that I think we see on that train. So he really he stands out very badly. Yeah, he's very touristy looking, too. (laughs) Yeah. The opening shot when they're getting on the train, you see him in the bunk on his laptop and i was like who the fuck is this guy and then later on he's at the door and i'm like oh shit yeah that the first time you see you see him before you see the brothers it's literally when adrian brody is getting on the train for the first time he goes right past that yeah that guy was it with his alopecia aka (laughs) his albino disease yeah why are you so bald brendan it's my disease (laughs) oh that's right yeah, and this has uh, Orphan Can in it, if I'm saying, butchering his name, yeah. obviously, 
from Slumdog Millionaire in Jurassic World, and he really started popping up in a bunch of things around this time, too, uh, playing the kid's dad in that. Also, that guy's name, is it Warris? The guy that plays the like the head stewardess? Wolodarski. Yeah, and he he was on. He was in Steve Zissou too. Yeah, he yeah, and I liked I I thought he was great in this movie too. I really loved the when they got off the train for the very first time and they were like being su- super tourists where they're like those kids are laughing at us and stuff and they find the cobra and he's like how much for the he's like how much for it and he's got that box with the skull and crossbones oh my God. on it. <laughs> so the dumb. snake is out. <laughs> It got out. There's a hole. Are, are you sure? They open it up. There's nothing there. Yeah. But uh, yeah, when he finally confiscates the snake and then he tells him it's dead. But you do get that cut of him at the end where he's yeah. like taking care taking of it care like it's his it, best yeah. buddy. Yeah, that was cute. Yeah, he, I ca- he couldn't kill it. It's against his religion. I, I appreciated that this film was an hour and a half. <laughs> yeah, it's probably one of his shortest ones. I was like, oh, damn, an hour and a half. I was like, I'm so here for this. <laughs> Gotta have them short ass movies. You watch the, the thirteen minute short and the like hour and a half movie, and it's still shorter than most movies that you'll watch. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know that's a, often a topic of discussion, but like, I mean, it, it's tiresome to have to deal with these. Well, you know movies. what time runtime? It doesn't. There's two times that it matters. One, if it takes you out of the movie because it's too long, and another, I think, is like sometimes working a late night. Or sorry, working a long shift. Do I have time to watch this movie? Right, and it really sucks to have to split things up over days. How did the filmmaker uh, intend for you to watch this? Uh, I think maybe the first half on Tuesday and the second half on Wednesday. <laughs> right, <laughs> that's so frustrating, especially when like like on my old show, like when there were remakes and like the originals like an hour long, and then you go. I like to watch them back to back, and then it's like you go to go watch the remake. Oh, this one's two and a half hours or like three hours. I'm like, forget it. I have to fucking wait on that. I ain't got time for that. Yeah, and I, it's a highly enjoyable movie to begin with. This is definitely my favorite. I do like his style though for his his later movies. It seems from Moonrise Kingdom on, he kind of like gets a like he becomes uber Wes Anderson or something. Like yeah. he goes full in on on that style and it's strange because like it's very prominent in this movie too but like moonrise kingdom budapest hotel like even french dispatch they're like hard hard that wes anderson vibe yeah it's really interesting then it doesn't even end up in you know he's not formulated yet but bottle rocket he's not it's just not there yet we didn't have any movies in between this and the life aquatic with steve zizu it just straight up this was his next feature a couple years later, and it seems like I don't quite know where Zizu was filmed, but this is the one where, like, after this point, every movie ended up being shot in, like, a very distinct location. Yeah, Zizu's just kind of general, like, the ocean. <laughs> it's him yeah, leaving it's the United specific, States. Yeah, it's 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 a that's like a world movie, just him, him being on a big journey. But, yeah, he does get, like, really specific with, like, Isle of Dogs, very specifically Japan, Budapest, very specifically Grand Budapest, and uh, Moonrise <laughs> Kingdom's, like, very specifically that island and, like, the, the northeast. I know that you guys mentioned he's a Coppola before. I, I didn't realize... That he was, but I notice a lot of crossover with his style and Sophie's. And do you think that they like talk to each other or whatever? Because like, I mean, she, he made this, and then she made the what's the one with Bill Murray where he's in Japan? 
lost in translation. translation. Yeah, they've been passing him around, I guess. So I feel like I feel like there's a lot of crossover with the, their works and the styles, even their visual styles. Like when you look at like Virgin Suicides and then look at Wes Anderson, there's a lot of crossover in their visual styles. How do you explain Nick Cage? Yeah. The greatest Coppola of all time, right? I, mean, what do you, I don't understand the question. Yeah, uh, there really wasn't. It was just to make you think. There really wasn't a solid question there. I desperately want to see his movie, uh, the what is it? The unbearable weight of, weightness weight of, of greatness, or something. Yeah, like, or unbearable weightness weight of greatness. <laughs> that movie looks excellent. Yeah, I don't think it rhymed, but I do like the yeah. rhyming better. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. It would improve, but yeah. Any any once you get Nick Cage playing Nick Cage, then it's like, oh, we've reached peak, uh, peak Nick Cage. Uh, I saw something recently about Jason Schwartzman. He said one of the one of the family reunions he was at, one of the first times that he ever met Nick Cage, he showed up like in a total totally leather outfit. Like a, I don't know if he's like a biker or a gimp, but he showed up in some <laughs> all leather outfit. Sounds about and right. Schwartzman said, I didn't know we had anybody this cool in our family. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I think this is kind of Schwartzman's like last big role was, in any of Wes Anderson's movies until you know, unless something else. He was in comes Mr. Up. Fox. Yeah, he was, I guess that's like that's like his that. that's like his next that's like his only other like yeah, major major I, role voice acting, I guess. I feel he shows up in everything else, but he's just not. This is well, well, maybe not Moonrise, but uh, no, he's in. uh, Yeah, he's in Moonrise. He's the one that marries them. Schwartzman has this odd career where he shows up in stuff and you go, oh, Jason Schwartzman's in this. And then his character is like playing some sort of swarmy whatever, and he dies almost immediately. And it's like that seems to be like the character that he's essentially played in like film and television for like the past like 10 years. Like the righteous you know, gemstones recently. Yeah, like, yeah. It's like I was like, there he is being killed off again immediately. But like, he just always plays that kind of character. I mean, he was in. Uh... He killed himself off in that. Well, yeah. So I just don't know. I don't feel like he gets enough credit or work. He well, had that it's sh- kind of weird because the three main characters, like uh, old cast members in this, I don't think that they usually get that much credit. Granted, didn't Adrian Brody win an Academy Award? But he's kind of like yeah. banned. From... Why is he banned? What happened? Not banned from the Academy Awards. He's but not like, like he's... banned, but it's like, I, yeah, I don't know. He's if not he's like just brought like into anything to work with. I don't know. If, I don't know if he has like a reputation or something, but he just doesn't seem to like. No one wants to cast him in things. It, it just yeah. Seems nobody like, wants to like, work with him. It's not like I don't think it's like an official ban. It just seems like no one wants to work with him. So, so yeah, is I don't like know if it's Edward Norton. I, I don't know because I've never like heard any. I've never heard any stories where like directors have said like, "Oh, Adrian Brody's like impossible to work with." It just well, I've like I've never it, heard it he's just... an asshole or anything. Yeah, either. I know he got banned from SNL for something that he said. It was because he put on the uh, Jamaican thing when he introduced, I think, like a uh, Big Sean or something like that. Like he he specifically was like, "I'm putting on the dreadlock wig and I'm going out there," and they were like please don't and he was like i'm doing it anyway and then like went out and did like a fake like like hey man it's big sean and they were like never he will never be on this show ever again that's so good he does weird stuff like that he was also in that uh he was in that movie made by the sham wow guy really sham wow guy made a movie yeah it's a it's a bad movie it's like it's it tries to be like a half of half prank movie half like goofy movie michelle rodriguez is in it too Ugh. I'm gonna have to look up the that. That doesn't make it any better. No. I'm gonna have to look up the name, but it's like it's it is like a really bad. 
he plays like a he plays a detective that like his whole like the whole joke of it is like that he makes like a lot of like gay innuendos or something like that but like says it all like with a straight face like doesn't think it's weird at all the way he says like he says like weird things it, it i think it came out around the same time as that movie 43 and they felt like very similar where it was just like eh, we'll just throw a bunch of stuff into a movie and call it a movie and just pretend like it's okay the one that had Halle Berry for some reason. Yeah. Just Googling so they... ShamWow guy movie. Uh, yeah, he definitely won an Academy Award for The Pianist. The Pianist, yeah. Which is a highly popular movie that nobody has any problems with. It's it's, it's a called great film. Inappropriate Movie. They specifically highlight APP for app and has a picture of a cell phone on it. Lindsay Lohan's in it as well. And, oh, and Rob Schneider. Oh, God. And the Shamwell first... guy, of course, because he, he cast himself in his own movie. His first movie ever was New York Stories, but I wonder what story he's in. That's the one with Woody Allen, Scorsese, and Coppola. Maybe the Coppola one. I feel like one. Probably, he's probably in the Coppola story. Well, the Coppola one's reason. the one with the little girls, so I don't really can't really remember. That's the one I remember the least, and I don't think... He wouldn't be in the Woody it Allen one. It was the worst one. one. He wouldn't be in the Woody Allen one, because that's very specifically... Like, basically just Woody Allen by himself in that one. Well, that one has Larry David in it, I remember. And nice. and the Scorsese one is, he that one's probably, the, like, he could Nick be in Nolte. That one, and, like, somewhere yeah. in the background, maybe. I don't think oh, he's maybe. in, I'm, like, 99% sure he's not in the, he's not in the Woody Allen one at all. Again, unless he's randomly in the background. Yeah, I'm, tr- I'm looking, because, like, he had that small bit in Midnight in Paris, which was great. Predators was, like, can he be predators. an action hero? I thought yeah. he was great. In that. Predator, everyone's great in Predators. Like uh, even, even I, I, I like I like uh, Topher Grace, who I don't even really like in most things. Like that was, he's, that I just, was good. I, I like him in it. Like uh, that's I I genuinely enjoyed that Predator movie. I, 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 I'm I, trying I, to look I, up what that movie I was. was. Um, I think it's just called Clean. It's the one where he's like has like s- some sort of revenge plot or something. I have no idea. Do you like how Rob one. Schneider has become some sort of right wing crazy person and created that weird sitcom that it was what like What the hell does that have to do with Adrian Brody? <laughs> he was in that other movie. He was in the Shamwell guy movie. Yeah, you brought up the oh Shamwell guy God. movie. We've connected them. They're they're We've connected. connected they're together. That's right. They, they did some they I mean this is work. So he hits like this really strong period of of films after the pianist where like kind of popular where he does the village and king kong i really like the jacket but it's like yeah and then all of a sudden he just fucking he just falls. like drops off yeah the yeah but he was like in good. uh he I was like in that the... movie giallo that was yeah um, uh what's his name argento that i heard wasn't good but he's in it he's in an argento f- film i guess well I even in uh we'll talk about it but the the french dispatch it, it kind of gets to the thing where like there's so many fucking people in it his role is like small, like maybe maybe a minute of screen time, you know. Everyone like keeps coming back for Wes Anderson movies, but I can't think of anyone else that specifically gets like huge screen time, even in even when they keep coming back. Like they, because he does such ensemble movies that oh, like yeah. like you're talking about how like it's that has so many characters. But I feel like you could almost describe that for everyone. Like we talked about how Bill Murray really doesn't have as big of a role after life aquatic even though he pops up in every film owen wilson like i know he's in the french dispatch i haven't seen it yet still but like he didn't he doesn't really have any big roles after this one other than again there's voice a acting couple and... yeah I, I i mean obviously we'll talk about it when we get into the french dispatch but there are clearly like 
six main characters that have more screen time than anyone else. And then most people are just glorified cameos at that point. This is Darjeeling is Adrian Brody's first uh, Wes Anderson movie. I guess that, technically Natalie Portman, but I don't remember her coming back. It seems to be like directors when they get to a certain level, they make these movies and they just like, because they're so well connected, everybody's like, I want to. And so they'll just like fill their movie with these celebrities and they'll be in the screen for like three minutes. Like Sin City is a great example of that. Like the movie's just jam packed with like <laughs> great celebrities being poorly utilized. People there for like, like two seconds in the yeah, background. It's like, well, wouldn't you want to do it too? You know. Like if you were like, there's certain directors that I think as an actor, I would be dying to work with. And, and it's like, you're in this David Lynch movie. You're the janitor. I'm like, all right. Right. Janitor it is. Right. <laughs> you're, am I at least janitor number one? <laughs> you speak Swedish. Can you learn Swedish in like a day? Absolutely. I'm super in. guilty of that. He just fills his movies with like big time names that like don't really do anything in the movies. But I, I, I feel Wes Anderson's like worse in the way that he'll literally have it's like a one line bellhop or something. Or, or a guy or at Tilda drive. Swinton in Grand Budapest Hotel that's like practically dead at the start and then dies within like two minutes. I don't think she has a line in that film. She's just she's basically just a corpse in that movie. Yeah, some of them are just like so quick and at least like when Tarantino uses somebody I think of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Bruce Dern, he's got like a good three minutes, you know? <laughs> he might not be in it very long, but he does have more screen time and some lines than he has a good performance in there, you know? Yeah. I don't, I don't know though. Cause I, I kind of like, and I'll, I guess I'll talk more about it in our, on our next one. Sometimes he's able to like focus on people that wouldn't normally be the stars. And in that case, never really were stars again. Right. And all these big names are, and are all the side players and like they're, they're all fantastic. I don't know if I brought this up before when we were talking, but uh, Gen Z is very into Wes Anderson. And I think like when we talk about film and like the future of film and like, how do you make film appeal to Gen Z and market to them? I think Wes Anderson's kind of an answer because they like Wes Anderson films in a 24. So they don't want to watch bullshit. They want to watch like, stuff with substance to it like they aren't watching marvel movies they're watching wes anderson movies and a24 films and i think that's really interesting when you think of like marketing because like you know they're over here just shitting out these billion dollar films when they could be making these ten like ten thousand dollar films or i'm sorry ten million dollar films and if they just kept producing ten million dollar films with independent directors they would have much better turnover in the theaters because if you make 20 million from the box office, then you broke even, right? You made your money back. So it's like your goal should not be a $350 million remake of anything. Your goal should be, I'm going to make $10 million films. Like when I'm my show, I used to talk about Jordan Peele all the time. It's like, I'm not a fan of Jordan Peele, but I have a lot of respect for Jordan Peele because Jordan Peele's over here making $10 million films. And I mean, I think the dreams, uh, I'm sorry. I think the dream too is that they can sell something by like the director's name or in A24's case, this distribution company, they can use that to kind of sell their, their stuff. Right. But it only lasts for so long. Cause 
in recent memory, there was that period of time where M. Night Shyamalan's name kind of had like bad a bad notation to what, what you know you saw right from from M Night Shyamalan and people are booing at it in in the theater mm. so after a while they're like oh, let's take his name off of things for a little bit and then we'll we'll start slapping it back on right yeah i think you you get that with uh with a lot of things or like like even with A24 like i feel like eventually they'll get uh, cuz that was even the same thing before them was like Miramax, like it was one of those like, oh, if you if you saw Miramax, it's even the joke in Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. I only thought Miramax made those high quality films like The Pianist and The Crying Game. Like, like it's like they even make fun of like like oh Miramax, it's a top shelf company. Like they make good films, and now that company's completely it got bought out and it's nowhere to be seen, and the people probably don't even remember it or uh, some I mean, of those some of those other companies that Lionsgate out. Used yeah to Lionsgate's be, a, a great I mean, example when they first came on the scene Lionsgate could do no wrong there yeah. was like a good like 10 year period where if anything Lionsgate put out I was immediately I keep trying watch. to think who was the one um it's another one from the 90s they they did like a lot of like Robert Rodriguez's films like Dimension the Dimension yeah Dimension, yeah. Dimension was like another one it's like if you saw that Dimension, was actually like, uh like, that's a that's gonna be a good movie that's that was owned by Disney. So yeah. like certain yeah. films that kind of got a little too risque, they're like, yeah, it's a dimension movie. Dimension movies yeah. were some of the best horror movies in the nineties for like, sure. So and I feel like it's new and line. now A twenty four is actually one of the like you see A twenty four in a horror. You are it's it's weird because it's a um, distribution company and right. all the trailers are for things are like terrible, terribly inaccurate as to what you're about to watch. Yeah. Uh, I watched Lamb, and I thought Lamb was very good, but the trailer for Lamb was, like, the worst representation of what that movie was. Like, I think they're playing the Beatles, and it's all very happy, and it's, like, the new horror film from A24, and I'm like, is it a horror film? Uh, it turns out it is a horror film, but... <laughs> I mean, then there's those films that they have that you don't even know that they're putting out, or that they're they're whatever, and you go to watch it, and you're like, oh... It's gonna be good, like like uh, mid nineties and things like that. Like, Minari did, was really good too. They did such poor marketing on that, but like at the same time, like it was such a great movie. But I think more than anything, like I was, I was talking about how like how do you fuck do you make movies more appealing to the younger generation, and how do you keep film in theaters and stuff like that because they don't give a shit, they don't want to watch this stuff, and it's like if well West was and Wes Anderson movies and A twenty four seem to be the answer. Like what they want is they want that like creativity and that like uh, sort of light style. Like his movies are really light. That's one nice thing about a Wes Anderson film is that you know whatever you're going into. Like even though you're getting that three three play act structure, like you're still gonna get a fairly light film in comparison to like something that's like really deep and hard to like sit through. Like they're not dramas. They're all light movies in some way or another. Even though they have like dramatic elements that come up in them. Yeah, and I think, honestly, that is kind of, like, what I connect to to the most in movies. This movie, Darjeeling Limited in particular, I, I don't know what it is. It's just it's just well-rounded. It's got it the is. style down perfect, the comedy is perfect, but that emotional side, it, it, it doesn't ever feel like it goes too far into, like, melodrama. Yeah. Weirdly enough. I love how they're always doing drugs. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so when they're funny. first, when they're doing all their drugs, yeah, they're, they're passing like, yeah, them around yeah, to each other. They'll yeah. give you anything here, and they're all trading off their drugs. Uh, yeah, then and that, then that steward comes in. He's like, 
Do you have prescriptions for these? Yeah, did you get prescriptions? <laughs> like, is this somebody <laughs> sold it to them? That's that's great. I, I think one of my other favorite scenes that I always remember is the uh, the one with the the peacock feathers. Yeah, and he's like, "Where where'd yours go? Mine blew to the mountains." He's like, "You weren't <laughs> supposed to do this. You're supposed to bury it." it. And Adrian Brody's like, "I still have mine." Like they that just all so do good. it completely wrong, and then uh, they have that good moment where they where they do it themselves uh, at the end when they just have that one feather left, and they all. They all do their weird, like, uh, performative dancing on the mountaintop after their mother leaves them. Like a spiritual dance, yeah. I guess. Because they're, they're trying... That's another thing that I really like about this movie, too. The spiritual aspect of it. Not heavy religious. Maybe heavy in uh, Indian culture, I guess. Yeah. With, the, like, the third eye chakra that they keep getting and... Uh, I kind of like that idea of the religion is sort of being like, you know, there's more there's more to you than what's physically here. And I guess if I'm going to be spiritual, that's the route that I'm personally going to go to. And uh, I, I do just kind of like them like Owen Wilson's character keeps trying to make the journey a spiritual journey, too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah he has he has his itinerary he wants to show him the temples. <laughs> I love when he's mad and he can't rip it because yeah, it's, it it. it's laminated. He wants to tear up the itinerary. The and, Indian uh, culture is perfectly executed in this movie. It's all like pretty accurate and like super Indian. Uh, yeah, it doesn't seem offensive for them being no. there, and I feel like it easily could have been. Especially, no. it's like rich white guys in India. Is it really what the movie could be? I do kind of like that flashback too, where you see how spoiled they kind of were like where they're coming from because they i I like that it doesn't start that way because they almost seem kind of very unlikable in that moment and they seem more down to earth with what's currently going on with them but yeah it's just it's weird it's like it's them holding back emotions from each other that moment where adrian brody takes off with his brother's story so he can read it and and cry in the in the bathroom where he can like relive the experience. A lot of great little moments like that too. Yeah. Yeah. And so, then they're, oh no, go ahead. Their, their ultimate journey is to lead them back to their mother, which I really enjoy Angelica Houston in this film as like, like they, they kind of all, they all seem mad and they kind of keep talking about how their, their mother abandoned them. And yeah, they, <laughs> they like, try, they almost like kind of try to make her like to be the bad guy. Uh, but then when they do finally get to her and she has like a lot of good points of like, there's other people that needed me more than you did. Like I, I raised you already. You, you all grew up, you were, you were fine. Like, and, uh, but they still obviously never, never truly got over that. And, uh, one of my favorite things is how you get to see where Owen Wilson got like some of his things from was like the, when he would, when he'd order things for them. Uh, let's see. I'll try the steak, Jack. You like chicken, and uh, I think you'll have the fish. <laughs> and he's like, "Quit ordering for me." But then, as soon as you see their mother, she tells them what they're gonna have for breakfast in the exact same tone. Like, Francis, you like eggs. Jack, you like cornflakes. I'll have it. I'll have it out for you in the morning. Which is like the exact same way that that Owen Wilson tried to do. So, Chuck, are you familiar with what the Bechtel test is? Yes. Did this movie pass the Bechtel test? Uh, absolutely not. I don't even have to. I don't even have to stop and like think about that. I don't think. Uh, I don't. That I guess Rita maybe, is like the Rita and Alice and Angela Houston are like, like the, the only, only three characters, character. and they never talk to each other at all. They're never no. even in the same scenes. I, that's that. I maybe is like one of the few things that I would say 
Uh, it's not, and it's not just him, but but Wes Anderson in general. I don't know that any of his films do. I was going to say that I don't think I don't Wes think, Anderson don't, has any movies that pass the Bechtel test. And probably I was not. Like, I don't. I, not in my thinking. Because I, I was going to ask it on Steve Zizou, and I forgot. And I was like, Steve Zizou definitely not when you did only not. have Kate Blanchett. Yeah, like she was the. <laughs> so I was like, that one definitely didn't do it. And then I was like, this one doesn't either. But then I started processing his films more, and I was like, I don't think he has any. I'm like, no. I, maybe Moonrise. I'm going to say Moonrise Kingdom might be the one that has it, but I'm not 100% on that. I don't even think so, because there's, like, there's only like three female characters, and it's like the same way. They're like never together. There's only like Tilda Swinton. That's um, so funny. What's her name? Uh, Cohen's wife. Frances McDormand. Frances McDormand, and then the, the daughter. But they're like always separate in that film, too. Like, yeah. At least think- I think in Zisu, like Angelica Houston and Kate Blanchett talk, but it's like the same thing of like, I think their their conversations about Steve Zisu. So it's like it's still like <laughs> breaking the rules of like they're only talking about the guy. They don't talk about like uh, you're bringing issues. up a huge issue with Wes Anderson. But you, but you know, it's interesting yeah, is know. that women women love his movies. Yeah, like it's not like women are like, oh, God, a Wes Anderson film. But as you start watching his movies, his movies are very male-driven films, and they're very male-oriented stories, and they're always about like fathers. Fathers are the predominant like. Well, you got to write what everything. you know, correct? Right. So I feel like this, it, it makes a lot of sense as as opposed to somebody that is gonna pretend or, you know, imagine has, with no world issues. experience. Yeah. That's, he's that's, got he's got bad daddy issues. That's Wes one of Anderson. those things too. Of uh, I, I'd, I'd have to look it up again, but somebody had like a funny thing where they they kind of brought up like uh, I, I know like the the Bechtel test and like they bring it up and like somebody had a bunch of things that were like guess what films do pass the Bechtel test and they were all like films that no one would consider like feminist films in the slightest at all like right. like some of them were like really violent horror films where most of the victims were women but they're like but guess what that film passes the test because it is slightly arbitrary it's like i don't know i feel like yeah it's something about the tone and maybe that's like a the wes anderson's like a good example of like yeah somebody could say well it doesn't it doesn't pass this test that i want to assess it but it's like but did you like the movie it's like oh yeah i thought it was a really great movie like i really enjoyed it it's like sometimes it just doesn't have to pass the test i idea but (laughs) right you're like it's passing this horror film where everyone gets slaughtered or this one person that doesn't talk to any other females but i guess at least it's like in his films even though they're very like male dominated uh only only sometimes there's a couple films obviously like like rushmore's a good example of one where like the woman is like an object almost to to the two male characters like that's one but it's like in some of the same in bottle rocket that yeah woman doesn't even speak english or (laughs) so it's like maybe that's where you can see at least like his evolution and that he gets like further past that to where like the women in his films you know yeah they're they're not as many there's obviously a more male male oriented slant but they're at least not like they're not just objects to be like ogled over by the characters he has good female characters in fact Often when he does have a female character in his films, they are the only female character and they are the voice of reason throughout yeah. most of the film. When you look at Zuzu, she was the only one with any common sense, logic or reason. Yeah, in the entire group pretty much. Yeah, both of them. Well, all three women, because like Kate Blanchett has reason. Uh, Angelica Houston's like, you know, seems to be the voice of reason trying to keep him calm. And even the uh, um, his one assistant, 
uh, Marianne or uh, whatever her name is. Uh, she's like the one telling him, like, you know, we can't go through these waters, Steve. We're going to get attacked by pirates, basically. Like, she's the only one that keeps telling him, you know, we can't do that, right? And he's like, we'll go through anyway. And then as soon as they get attacked by pirates, are you doing good? No, I'm not, Steve. I told you this would happen. Like, it gets pretty Indian waitress was a really good female character she was like really strong and she was going through her own shit (laughs) she like used him the way that she did it was really well and it did start with the the male gaze too where he was like i want to fuck her yeah yeah and then yeah when she's like i I enjoy when he like walks out into the hallway and he just stands there and she's like what are you doing and he's like oh i was waiting for you she goes no the whole point of us coming out separately was to not be seen together get out of here well, I do kind of like that for when he kind of like falls for her a little bit is when they're both smoking outside of the train. And I do like when he immediately cut, gets back in, he rings for the stewardess, he asks for something dumb. And he's like, oh, shit, I forgot something. He asks for so the he, savory snacks because that's yeah. what they ask when he comes back in. They're like, where, where are the savory snacks? <laughs> and she later. knows immediately what he's talking about. But And then like way late in the film, he pulls out the savory snacks and is eating them. Yeah. Did you get those from the? Did you get those from the sweet lime girl? Yeah, I'm actually surprised that I, we don't see more of her and things because she seems like she, she had a really good excellent. charisma to her yeah. and everything in this. Unless She's just probably Anderson a Bollywood actress. Like honestly, like I think she looks. I think she is a Bollywood actress. <laughs> she looks like it. Well, not not that she looks. I know, I know. Looks, but yeah, like uh, I think she is one. So I think the other guy too, that the the guy who was in um, Aquatic Life as well. Uh, the other, the Indian probably guy. does a lot. Of, yeah. Well, that Irfan definitely yeah. was Bolly, Bollywood that did the Slumdog Millionaire. Yeah. And he he recently passed away from like a heart attack or something. He's pretty yeah. died pretty young. Yes, he did. I know who you're talking about. He was a major star. He was like one of the top people. Well, that's upsetting. Yeah. Bollywood's super interesting. He, he was great. I honestly thought he was one of the better parts in that Jurassic World. I don't remember if he makes it in the second one, but. Oh uh, no, he dies no, in the, he dies first, in the one. first one. Yeah, those movies are so dumb. He's really great, where he keeps <laughs> quoting um... John Hammond. Yeah, spare <laughs> no expense. <laughs> That's what he said. Yeah, yeah. right. The, the biggest things I know him for are this, where he's very serious, and Slumdog, where he's very serious. So it it was nice to see him in Jurassic World like that for a little bit. And uh, I think he was in Life of Pi too, but he's like yeah. he's much sm- smaller in it too. I think he's in the Amazing Spider-Man too, the first one. I think he's the, the, ama- he's the Amazing the... Spider-Man 2012. Yeah, whatever that was. I think the he's the like first Garfield. one. I think he's like the Lizard's boss or something like that. <laughs> the Lizard's oh, okay. boss. Right. That's what I would want to be credited as <laughs> the Lizard's boss. It's probably it probably is like at least fun for for these guys coming from uh, at least getting to leave and. I don't know, just do something different, like almost probably like not even have to really, really try to do anything special. It's just like, just like we know you're a good actor. Just just be in this movie. Just be in this Jurassic Park movie. They're like, when is the dance number? Yeah. When, when's the big when's the big finale where we all do our choreography? Do the dinosaurs dance with us. Do we have a dinosaur? I mean, dance it wasn't a Bollywood dance, but they did dance a little bit in Darjeeling Limited. It was their interpretive spiritual dance at the end of the movie, but uh, it existed. It was there. I think this is a very well-rounded film. It has very good pacing, and it's a really kind of beautiful story about family again. 
he's kind of beautiful. His... Well, I mean, like it's it's funny and like light, but it's also like you know it's got its like dark moments. But it it gives you the full gamut of emotions. It's nice to go into a film where you get to go through the full gamut of emotions when you watch it. Like that's one thing about him. It's like, he's always really good at like, the, like the humor is really good. And then like, there's some good action. And then there's like, you know, really, really sad parts. And you get to have that full, I guess that goes back to the classic cinema stuff though. When you talk about like how his films are kind of almost follow like that classic cinema sort of formatting and things like old films used to be more well-rounded because they'd get a lot of sequels. We weren't worried about making 50 of them. We made one and we made sure it was the whole way through. And he's really good at like making a fully complete film that doesn't going to have like a sequel or yeah. needs more to it. It's just a well-rounded piece that you can watch by itself. I mean, the character arcs are great too. Yeah. Or, or, or kind of like what they're leaving us with, with these characters Chuck brought up really early on where he cuts off all his gauze and he says, I still guess I still got some healing to do. It's spiritual heal healing too. And then how he brought up that, that luggage. And at the end, when they jump on the, what is it? The bangle something. It's like yeah. a, a, their yeah, other train. Yeah, train. They, they lose all their luggage. They drop all their luggage. So it's literally like all that weight is off their shoulder. Literally. <laughs> you know, like it's literally yeah. gone. They don't and have to worry about it They're finally free. Anymore. They're free from everything because they were able to just let it all go. And this is also one of the very few Wes Andersons where, or maybe this is the start of it, but we got that nice shot of the train for the entire credits. Oh, yeah. That was a good ending credit sequence. Instead of it going straight to... <laughs> I watched Black, it like they've been to going. I watched it so yeah. long. I was like, I kept, but I kept waiting for something because film has now tricked me into there's something at the end of everything. So I was like, is there some shit that's going to happen at the end of this that I don't know about? So I just kept pushing through it and I realized I watched the whole credits. So <laughs> Part like, three okay. of the Darjeeling Limited. Right. <laughs> yeah, because the Hotel Chevalier that happened before that, which is like this 13 minute short film, and it literally came back as most likely the true story of Jason Schwartman's character with his uh, his uh, lover, who's played by Natalie Porterman, because we realize that he's a good writer, but he's good at writing what he happened. Just, yeah, he just, like, copies <laughs> what, what happened to him and just, like, maybe changes the names. Yeah, that's I, I do enjoy his... Uh... When he when he finally admits it, when he when he's like they're reading that story for the hotel, I like how much you were an asshole. And he's like the the characters are, he's just like thanks, <laughs> like he just finally. I mean, you even see him in the one moment where he's wearing that robe, so yeah. it it's not just a, a made up story. It happened to the guy. I yeah. love. I loved in hotel was it Chevalier or whatever Chevalier or Chevalier. I loved the line when she's like. Uh, if I'm if I fuck you, I'm going to feel like shit in the morning, and I'm going to hate myself for it, and what have you. And then when they're reading the story, on in the movie, that line comes up again, and I was like, ah, oh, that was like one of the best lines in the short. And I was like, I love how quickly the short the is film. read. It's read like it's read like at a super speed. Yeah. yeah. He said that. She said that. He said this. He said that. That. that, that and then it was like over. I wish he that's would do. Really uh, I, I enjoyed his shorts. He did. Uh, oh, I guess maybe that's the only other time he got that much screen time was. Uh, I think I can't remember if it was for Moonrise or Grand Budapest where he did that short with, with Jason Schwartzman as like the uh, the race car race. driver. I think it's Grand I Budapest Hotel. I see that. I think it's Grand I Budapest. Uh, that was that maybe is like the most. 
but that one never connected. I, I was hoping that that one was going to like connect into the story somehow, like Where like in the, the way Italian that this race did. car driver. Yeah. That looks so funny. I desperately need to watch. I love it. the great like the random action of like it's like his car blows up off screen and he's <laughs> yeah. he's and like a tire just like rolls away and he just like walks up and sits at the cafe and it's just like it's just like well, this is a bunch of crap. Like my car blew up. That's great. I enjoyed that. I wanted that's that's what I wanted them to do more of those shorts because he did it for uh, he did it for two of his films and I was like I was like oh is he just gonna, hey, like, I'm even counting do... the commercials the American yeah. Express commercial like if he would just randomly do shorts like uh like make it make it like Pixar like he just randomly does a short with like one of his friends in like a, a little setting and just does like a five ten minute short. I was surprised he's got a lot of them though. I, he has more than I thought he did. He's like going crazy because like his next movie is supposed to be his Spanish movie, I think. Okay. Asteroid City or something like oh, that. Oh yeah, Asteroid City. I heard about that one. And I the cast is like even larger than French Dispatch. <laughs> I literally think that he's just he's lost. At and some point, like... everyone's only going to have like one line, and then they're just going to leave, and then the next person's going to come in with their one line, and then leave. <laughs> yeah. It is. It's going to be like Slacker or something. No one else. There's no big. It's just a big picture. There's no no overarching plot in the movie at all. Does does this one have a cult following like Suzu does? Uh, I think it has to because I enjoy the movie. There you go. <laughs> and honestly, I don't on. I never see it like a top uh, Wes Anderson film. Yeah. It's always like Grand Budapest or. I think it's usually Grand Budapest That's usually, or like yeah. Royal Tenenbaums or something. Yeah, I always see Tenenbaum. Yeah, I think I, this, was, I, this is like a weird like middle movie. Like it was like how we said this is kind of where like his style finally comes in. But then I think it took off more with like Moonrise Kingdom and Grand Budapest Hotel. Like it started getting more film. more acclaim for those films. Like, I really think this is his strongest film. Like I was really like, this is a solid movie. Like if you just want a movie to watch, nice hour and a half. Really, really good storytelling. You want really, more time? Really we got 13 good, minutes like... to add at your at your uh, discretion, <laughs> right? No, it's good. Like it's a. I think it's one of his strongest films. And I think when you look at like how much he goes down the Wes Anderson hole later on, like you said, like becomes, becomes his own kind of parody and a lot of so things. I want to start like, the next episode continuing yeah. down the Wes Anderson hole. That's right. <laughs> but yeah, like this, this is a solid, you should be very proud of this. I'd be very proud of this movie. I think that this would be one of my films. I'd be like the most proud of out of his catalog of work. This is the only one I haven't seen from him is bottle rocket. And the, the, the one that we're talking about last This first and last. Yeah. So those are my only two I haven't seen. But I just bought it for ten dollars at Target, so I'm a I'm a huge fan of Bottle Rocket. I, I don't feel like Chuck likes Bottle Rocket that much, but yeah. I need to see it. I need to give it a shot. It, it's the least West like it's Wes Anderson in character, but not style yet. Yeah, right. The style's very very slim, but there's so many moments in in Bottle Rocket that I just love when uh Luke Wilson and Owen Wilson are talking, and Luke Wilson's uh sister doesn't like approve of her. Of, of his lifestyle and Owen Wilson's like, what has she ever done with her life? <laughs> He's like a 12 year old kid. <laughs> I also love them doing their test robberies. Like the robberies go bad, but their test robbery of the library is hilarious. Uh, the moment where they're like, Oh, we're going to put the tape on our nose and then it'll distract them. So they won't be able to describe us. <laughs> and, uh, when he knocks on the door and he's like, Oh yeah, they, <laughs> they took my, I think my jacket's in there. So they let 
Luke Luke uh, Wilson in, and then Owen Wilson comes up. He's like, my jacket's also in there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it's uh, it, it's really good. But I think I think it's it is interesting to watch it like grow from here, like from one percent Wes Anderson to French Dispatch. That's like the eleven of Wes Anderson of right. films. I am rewatching all of them because, like I said, like Kubrick, there's not a lot of movies there, so it's easy for me to digest, and I'm interested to see how I feel about all of them, like back to back to back. Uh, so I'll give like a, a strong them, right? opinion. Darjeeling's my my favorite, probably off the top of my head. Still, I think out of everything I've watched from him so far, after going back and kind of analyzing a little bit more, this one and Fantastic Mr. Fox are my two my two favorites. I really like this one. Uh, and I'm a huge fan of our next one. Like the but, next one, I thought I love it. Steve Suzu had moments in it where it dragged for me. I felt like it was just going on a bit too long, and I wanted it to wrap up. It was like I love everything I'm seeing. Chuck's like, you take that go. back. <laughs> well, but uh, pacing is pacing, and like if it's just a little too long for me, I just kind of start losing interest. Whereas this one held me just where it needed to. Everything happened right when it needed to happen to keep me going and keep me watching. Nice. And hopefully <laughs> we can keep people listening. We can keep them hooked for the next two Wes Anderson episodes. I personally don't have much more to say about this movie. I think we've pretty well covered it. Uh, this was the Darjeeling part one episode. Now, now we're starting <laughs> oh, part two okay. episode. Right. Where we talk about our true feelings. <laughs> our How we feel spiritually about the film. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, obviously, there's a number of gags that I I can talk about, but I, I this is one of my favorite, not just Wes Anderson movies, but this is one of my favorite casts, like the of actors that work well together. They were excellent together. They were a top tier cast. And I think the thing that also really sucks about it is they're strangely like we talked about Adrian Adrian Brody being kind of absent, but. There's not a lot of Owen Wilson anymore either. Like I saw that he's in that trailer for Marry Me with Jennifer Lopez, but like, like he was he was I don't in know. That, the Marvel show. He was in that one. Uh, oh, Loki. he was good in that. Yeah. He was he was good in Loki. Yeah, yeah, you are right about he that. He was probably the best part of that entire thing. He doesn't have to do anything. He's got that Cars money. <laughs> it's yeah, a, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You're oh right. Oh my god, I totally forgot that. He That's was why you don't see Larry the Cable Guy anymore. He's got that Cars money. That's all right. that Wheel Cars lightning. money. <laughs> <laughs> wow, like a <laughs> chow. God, and uh, that's our RG Link Limited episode. I'm Justin Morgan. I'm on Twitter at jjmorgan19. Chuck, ChuckFin66. Lexi, what are you on? Uh, I'm on Instagram. You can check out uh, polyester, poly underscore ester. That's my pictures. And then my art is uh, Iconoclast, I-C-O-N-O-K-L-A-S-T. You can check out Dapper Dick, my latest art piece. Red I thought piece. you were talking about Chuck. Is he Dapper Dick? I think so. Well, I mean, he's definitely Dapper. I think so. I don't know. <laughs> Collectively, we are Cinema Demore at Cinema Demore on Twitter slash Cinema Demore on Facebook. Follow us there. Subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to it. Rate and review us because we need to know how we truly are. That's right. Love us. Tell us how we are. 
hate us hate subscribe but hate us feedback is something anything is better than nothing yeah you just have uh, your relative being like I gave it five stars <laughs> the best thing I ever heard my mom loved it <laughs> the podcast that my mom loves my mom's favorite podcast that's right that's what she said. <laughs> All right, we'll be back next week. Thanks for listening. Bye.